We're continuing this morning in our study together of the Sermon on the Mount, and the first part of that sermon, the introduction, is the Beatitudes, the blessed are statements. This is the sixth of those statements, and we're going to read it together, Matthew 5, 8. I'll read it and you can listen. This is God's holy and infallible word, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There are such big ideas in this particular beatitude that a lot of people are surprised it's not the first beatitude, or they're surprised it's not the last beatitude, where they sort of all culminate, or that maybe it should be the, the middle beatitude, the center of it all. Jesus is talking about the heart, about purity, and those are topics that are addressed so much in God's Word. They are absolutely crucial and central to our Christian faith. And then maybe the biggest idea of all in this beatitude is the promise. They will see God. To see God. God. This was the great desire of the Old Testament saints. Moses said to God, show me your glory. David wrote in Psalm 27, your face, Lord, I will seek. This is about knowing God. It's about being in his presence. This is the great goal of all theology and philosophy too, to know and to see ultimate reality, the originator of it all, the end of it all, the Lord our God. Those big ideas are our focus, the heart, purity, and seeing God. First, the heart. Jesus comes on the scene and, yeah, that's the one. Uh, And when he begins his ministry, he talks about the heart. His teachings are all about the heart. In fact, heart is used hundreds of times in the Old Testament too. The heart. Of all the things that Jesus could focus on, of all the topics out there, This was frustrating to certain people. I mean, Israel had so many obvious problems. They had political problems. They had economic problems. I mean, there were real issues. And when Jesus starts his ministry, Israel had been under foreign oppression for hundreds of years. They had very limited political freedom. And also, they had little to no freedom to develop or even control their own economy. They paid very high taxes to Rome. I mean, these were the real issues. These were the problems that everyone could see. These were the problems that everyone felt. Why isn't Jesus preaching about this stuff? Why not weigh in on the next governor or magistrate election? Why doesn't Jesus recommend a candidate to bring back Israel's glory? You see, the people in Israel expected this kind of stuff from God's promised Messiah. But Jesus does nothing of the sort. And the thing was that the problems everyone else were focusing on were not the real problems. 
spiritual weakness, not political weakness, not economic weakness, spiritual weakness, that was the real issue. Most people didn't get this, and so they were very, very frustrated with Jesus, even though he is bringing them to what we all really need to focus on and to be concerned about at the the center of things and the foundation of our lives. The kingdom of God has very different priorities than the kingdom of this world. Even most of the religious leaders missed this, what the real problem was. Jesus addressed the Pharisees all the time for being concerned by, uh, with being externally spotless, by having their outward behavior be without fault. But Jesus says they're forgetting the most important matters. Jesus says, but you're dirty on the inside. And that's especially what matters. Their hearts were far from loving God and loving others. And that's what God cares about. That's how you advance the kingdom of God. You know, you'd think that in terms of our faith and belief, because these, this was a society, these were people that knew God. They were the people of Israel. You'd think it'd be obvious that the faith is about the heart, but it wasn't obvious in Jesus' day. And it isn't always obvious to us either. Jesus says what's central is our heart. That's what he's always talking about, not our head. Right thinking, doctrine, intellect, understanding is very, very important for our faith. True faith involves a knowledge, but it's not just that. The heart is the center. And you know, the faith is not mainly a matter of our external behaviors and do's and don'ts either. I think a lot of people, even us in the church, can think that what makes a Christian a good person is that. That the faith is about our behavior especially. If we just would do and say the right things, well, that's exactly what the Pharisees thought, but they were wrong. Jesus brings us again and again to the heart first. And for the people in Jesus' day, that word meant, meant pretty much what it does for us, the heart. We talk about someone's heart. It's not necessarily literally talking about that organ that pumps blood, right? It's, it's about the center of our personality. The heart, when we talk about our hearts being directed to God, it's about our mind, our will, our emotions, the complete person, everything flows out of that. Blessed are those, not necessarily who shine and glitter on the outside, but blessed are those who have it together in the heart, in the center of their being. Jesus calls attention to the heart as the source of all our troubles. Any evil thought or an evil deed started somewhere at the center of someone's being. Murder, adultery, theft, lying, viewing, pornography, filthy language from our lips, gossip, hateful thoughts, revenge. Right? It all started somewhere deep within. The heart is the center of all our problems. As one pastor points out, that means the start of all our problems, the source of all our problems, isn't our environment. And I think he makes a good point. I, now, believe me, I believe our environment, the people around us, where we, we grow up and, and come out of, that impacts our lives. 
I fully realize if I grew up in a different setting, I might very well have taken a different path in life. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a stable, believing home rather than in poverty, surrounded by crime. It's very difficult to break out of that. As much as we talk about America as the land of opportunity, and I really believe it is, the reality is that that opportunity is much more readily available for people like most of us living in the West suburbs. But yet, in the end, we can't blame our troubles and our problems on others or on our environment. Our problems, at their core, are heart problems. They're within us. And here's proof that our issue is the heart, not our environment. Where did Adam and Eve fall into sin? Was it their rough environment? Did they have a rough environment to blame? No, they were in paradise. Mankind was in a perfect environment and first went wrong there. You know, and, and so though we work and pray to better our nation and our families, our church, even if we were to do the impossible and somehow get a perfect nation, a perfect family, a perfect church, it would not solve our problems. It's out of the heart that things arise. Jeremiah the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Getting a good education, having a good job, having a wonderful marriage, having your act together on the outside, getting it just the right present, fixing the broken political system like ancient Israel wanted. None of that is going to solve the ultimate problems. They're just band-aids when people need heart surgery. If you're talking about your kids and their behavior, it's about your kids' hearts. If you're talking about people not functioning well in the church, it's about their hearts. If you're talking about the trajectory of our nation, people's hearts need to be addressed. If you're talking about your own life and your struggles, your worries, your sins, your problems, your addictions, it's got to start with your heart. got to start with your heart. Jesus says that we need our hearts cleansed, purified. Secondly, this morning, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. You know people, I've known people like this, who they only point out problems and issues, maybe at work or somewhere else, and they're really good at pointing out issues and problems, and they never have solutions. It's really annoying, really frustrating. That is not Jesus. Jesus is not like that. He zeroes in on the problem of the heart, but he doesn't leave it there. Jesus brings the solution. And the solution, of course, is himself, his very life. The heart can be made pure by him. There's an answer to our biggest trouble. Pure here means without hypocrisy, being clean, open, single-minded, open and sincere, single-eyed devotion. Psalm 86, 11, we sing from that sometimes. It says there, give me an undivided heart. So pure of heart means a focused heart. Let our heart, Lord, be unified. May I not have different allegiances. May my allegiance be single, focused on you. Purity in marriage, I think we get what that is. That's for a husband, and a wife, of course, I'm a husband, 
I'm going to talk about a husband. It's for a husband to have his wife, his eye, both eyes, on his wife alone. Single focus for her to bring him joy and satisfaction and happiness. Not any other woman. A pure heart will have that focus on the Lord. The book of Revelation talks about the end of time and heaven says nothing impure will enter the heavenly Jerusalem. God requires this, in other words, for us to be with him, a pure heart. Jesus is that level of purity that God requires in the flesh. And so another way to talk about having a pure heart and being pure heart is to talk about Jesus and is to talk about us looking to Jesus and being like him, to have our eyes on him who perfectly loved God with all his being. He lived everything to the glory of God. Jesus came to tell us about our greatest problem, to be the only person who lived without this problem of the heart and to solve this problem, not just to tell us about it, not just to say, hey, everybody, watch me, live like me, and you can be pure too. No, he came to solve it. He needed to do something. He needed to do heart surgery, to take out our heart of stone so that instead we can have a heart of flesh, as Jeremiah talks about. That's why Jesus went to the cross and rose again for his people. It was to replace our broken hearts to give us new hearts, to cleanse us from our sins. So Jesus calls us this morning to go to him if we want to have a pure heart. Are you troubled? you got problems? Well, look first to your heart and look to the one who can cleanse it. Give your heart to Jesus. He can take care of things. Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's the prayer for all of us. And that word create tells us how serious the problem is and how we can get the solution. You know what creation is, don't you? Something out of nothing. God created. God out of nothing called this whole universe into being. The prayer isn't, Lord, just give me a new heart. It's not just make my heart clean. It's create in me a clean heart. Did you, have you ever noticed that before, that it's create? In other words, it's not just fancy language. It struck me this week. In other words, it create. Lord, do a supernatural work in my life out of my nothingness, my brokenness, my weakness, my need. I need a miracle. Do a miracle. That's what it takes to create something out of nothing. That's why Jesus went to the cross like we're going to remember on Good Friday in a few weeks. And when we trust in him, when we ask him, he will give us pure hearts. Through the Holy Spirit, he does a miracle in our hearts and lives. But you know, not everyone is willing to do that. Because to say you're a mess to say you've got problems and issues, to say that your heart is a wreck and misdirected, that takes humility. And we like to say and think we've got it all together. We like to think we don't need help. I can fix myself. I can turn this around. 
But you know what? You can't. You can't turn it around. You need Jesus. We need our stubborn, old, cold hearts to be replaced, to be renewed. And when we give up our pride, we go to Jesus, our core problem, the problem he came to tell us about is taken care of. And from there in Jesus, our lives can take a completely different turn. We can have a new trajectory for the rest of our lives, the trajectory that Jesus talks about in the promised blessing here, to see God. And that brings us to our final point. The pure in heart will see God. I mentioned earlier, this was the great goal of the Old Testament saints and God's people always to see his face, to know him. We will see God. Future tense, this will happen in heaven. The church has actually kind of a a fancy term for this. It's called the beatific vision. It's described in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. We'll see face to face. One day we won't view God imperfectly anymore through our very imperfect faith like we do now, but we will see God face to face. Another pastor I respect among many is John Piper, and he helps us understand what seeing God is all about by talking about three aspects of it, and I want to share them. Seeing God means at least these three things, and I think it helped me understand the bigness of seeing God, and I hope it helps you too. I hope it helps you see that this, this is what it's about. This is to be our greatest longing. First, to see God means to be admitted to his presence. After the plague of darkness on Egypt, remember that back in the Old Testament, Pharaoh, the king, told Moses, get away from me, never see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. He wanted him out of there. Moses said, all right, I will not see your face again. Well, the king says, you will never see my face again. He means what? I will never give you admission into my presence again. When we make a call to a doctor's office to make an appointment, we talk about needing to see the doctor. Now, you don't want to see the doctor from a distance. We're not saying, hey, show me, you know, send me a a picture of the doctor. No, I mean, we want an appointment to be with him, to be right there in front of the doctor. Seeing God means literally seeing him, the great physician, face to face. Seeing God means being admitted into the presence of the king of kings, which we can be because of Jesus. So it's being admitted to his presence. Second, says Piper, seeing God means being awestruck by his glory because we're going to have a direct experience of his holiness. God confronted Job in the Old Testament in the whirlwind, and Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing ear, but now my my eye sees you. I don't think myself that anyone in the Old Testament saw God like we will see God. But I think this tells us that Job at least had a glimpse. And you think about that, all 
our life long as Christians, our sight of God is not direct. It's through means, through instruments. It's not direct. Through faith, we know our faith is imperfect. It's through God's word. Well, our minds and hearts don't even perfectly read that. It's through God's work around us and providence and nature. We don't see God directly. It's like everywhere we see reflections of his glory. But one day, we're going to see him face to face. And we will be in awe. In awe. You think of seeing your favorite band live. You're awestruck. Or for me, a Lakers fan... To go to a Lakers game, to see those guys I've watched so many times on TV. Kobe Bryant, I followed him all 20 years of his career. To go to a game, I've done that a few times, to see him in the flesh, on the court, in front of me. I mean, when you see someone, a hero like that, that you look up to, you just kind of have this stupid grin on your face for a long time, right? Whether it's an athlete or a singer or whatever, you're awestruck. But think about this. God who we pray to and talk to and talk about all the time, our God, who watches us, who has kept us, who has preserved your life all these years, who has protected us, who has comforted us, God, who we've called out to in our bed at night, who we've asked to be with us and to be with our loved ones and to be with our nation, After all that, after all those years of calling out to our God and Him being with us, after all of that, He will dwell with us. He will dwell among us. His glory isn't going to be sort of inferred from lightning and mountains and roaring seas and constellations of stars and newborn babies. Our experience of Him instead is going to be direct His glory will provide the light for the city of God, says Revelation. It's going to be awesome in a way that no experience ever before has been awesome. You think of those athletes and stars and the stuff that we're awestruck by when we see them. They're just people. And you know what? Sometimes they're very flawed people. But when you see God, we will be awestruck by his glory. Finally, seeing God means being comforted by his grace. In the Psalms, there's so often the cry that God, God, don't hide your face from me. Don't hide your face. And and that's the same as saying, God, be gracious to me. And so seeing the face of God is, is considered to be a sweet, it's a comforting experience. If God shows his face, we are helped, we are saved. And if he turns it away, We're dismayed. So seeing God implies we're going to be admitted into his presence. We're not going to just be kept in the waiting room. We're going to be awestruck for the very first time with the direct experience of his glory with nothing in between. And we will be helped and will be comforted by his grace day by day until that day. What a promise this is that we will see God. And a pure heart is the ticket. And Jesus creates in us a heart that is pure. That means that this ultimate goal, this ultimate longing, a vision of God can be ours. It means it 
will be ours. That vision changes us today, and it's for this earth too. 1 John 3, 3 says that everyone who has this hope of seeing God face to face purifies himself. Jesus makes our hearts clean in an ultimate sense, but we work towards that too. With the Holy Spirit's help, we flee sin and impurity. We seek a life that is clean and pure. And that life is to love God above all, to love our neighbor as ourself. That's how the Bible describes a pure heart. Where do our hearts, where does your heart need more work to prepare for that great day? And how can all of us, how can we, the church together, tell more people about their ultimate trouble, their ultimate solution, and then the ultimate goal of all things, to see God?